from Bureaucracy's Basement to your ears, this is the meeting of the Queen City Improvement Bureau. Each week, the dedicated staff of the Bureau meet to make recommendations, file reports, and survive on water that drips from the boiler pipe into their open mouths as they sleep on a bed of dot matrix printer paper in the back room. Maybe one day, they'll escape from that subterranean basement, but until that day comes, the city is not going to improve itself. So, here we sit improving things. This meeting is now in session. Hello. Oh, greetings. How are you doing? Oh, I'm having a fine day. Yes, you sound like you're in a bit of a tunnel. I am. I, uh, I've uh, dug a little sort of uh, tunnel underneath the uh, sub-basement. I'm looking for an escape. Oh, are you just trying to get away from it all? Yep, just, just basically it's that, that Jimmy Buffett song for me. Nice. Margaritas uh, and tunnels. Yep, margaritas, uh, pina coladas, caught in the rain, digging tunnels through the concrete. Sorry to drag you uh, back to real life, but we have to have a meeting. Uh, okay. Okay, I can manage. Shall we, uh, shall we take attendance? I would like that. Okay, so our first attendee this evening... Uh, is E.E. Ponchdell. Uh, no. Don't know E.E. No. E. Ponchdell. No. E.E. E. Ponchdell? Nope. Uh, gained some notoriety in the 50s and 60s as a science fiction writer. Wrote a, uh, that 235 novel cycle purporting to basically chart the sort of future, what he called the future history of, uh, of all space and time. Sounds kind of cool, but also a little... Well, Boring and most people, yeah, most people didn't read most of his stuff, but uh, the one he's best known for was the 122nd novel in the cycle, which was set on our Earth, but also was written in uh, second person singular. So it was about you and uh-huh. you and about your life. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of people were put off by the, uh, the third, the last whole section of the book, which is about 300 pages, in which you go and order uh, uh, Bell's uh, self-published erotic memoir, A Marriage in Furs. So, yeah, that's basically yeah. what he's best known for. Funnily enough, the actual self-published erotic memoir never existed, except as in excerpts in the, in the novel. Good, but, I'm glad. But nobody's ever finished that through the excerpts because it was thoroughly unpleasant reading. Anyway. It, he's not here. No, he's not. No. Um, Oh, and I think I might know why. Uh, and you know, if I'd read to the end of that novel, I would have it would have probably told me this. Uh, I've I've actually it said, or as it would say in the novel, you have mixed up the letters in E. e. Ponchdale's name. Okay. Oh no! So yeah, uh, and it should be Paul Deshen. That's me. Oh, okay. Here and uh, so. Next, next up, our next attendee is A.A. Diane Gnorm. No, another author? I don't, don't know uh, this person. Actually, yeah, an author of a cookbook. Oh. Well, a number of cookbooks. Uh, but A.A. Diane Gnorm was a chef who uh, basically railed against what she called, I've got it written down here, the animal vegetable liquid industrial food complex. Uh, and she advocated for an all-mineral diet. Nice. And her yeah. best, she had one bestseller from 1977 called Cooking with Dust. 
Oh, nice. I hear dust isn't so bad if you put some salt on it. it no, that's exactly. That was pretty much the, uh, most of the recipes were just different kinds of dust with salt mixed in, uh, often on, on some concrete. It's for, for, it's for, for texture. And, yeah, and, uh, mouthfeel. Mouthfeel. That's all, it's all about mouthfeel with these, with these uh, mineral, mineral terriers. Anywho, uh, yeah, she, she's not here. Obviously. I bet she's not very healthy either. Probably not. Uh, probably probably needs a little bit of vitamin C. Uh, and I think I think actually the reason she's not here is that I've I've once again done it to my embarrassment and mixed up some <sighs> letters. Aiden. Hey, that's me. That's actually yeah. Aiden Morgan. Yeah. Nice. Is you? Okay, I'm here. And I believe we have a third attendee uh, whose name I did not have the t- time to write down. So so they will have to introduce themselves. Hello, friends. It's Jack, who's it's back. Jack. <laughs> Jack's back. Hey, Jack, thanks for returning. Uh, anytime. You know me. I, I, I schedule my life around QCIV. That's very flattering. We really needed you here tonight. Why? Because, well, there was a city council meeting. See, and here I am. I wasn't even, I knew that there was a QCIB coming up, but not that there was a city council meeting. That's, okay. I have my priorities straight. Good. It was a city council meeting dominated by two things that I know you love and adore. Uh, procedural hijinks. My favorite and, kind of hijinks. Yeah, and baseball. Uh, my not favorite kind of hijinks. You don't love baseball? I don't love baseball. Um, I played softball as a child or like t-ball. I don't know. Yeah. And I did not enjoy it. Yeah. Um, but that's fine because I'm an adult now and I don't have to play organized sports because my parents aren't forcing me to do that. Um, <laughs> so like I appreciate that baseball exists in the world. Wait, wait you, haven't, you haven't internalized your parents into like little miniature authority figures that still make you do things uh not when it comes to sports when it comes to a lot of other things definitely Mm. but not Mm. when it comes to sports um I think that my parents interest in forcing me to play organized sports was less about because like they don't really play sports because they're they're they deal with like like physical disabilities that cause that to be difficult but I think that they like felt like maybe it was important for children to do organized sports. And so they sort right. of do it, but it's not really a part of their lives. So I don't think that they forced me to do it. Whereas like washing dishes is a part of their life. And so I regularly like feel guilty if my sink is full of dishes, but not if I haven't played baseball in a while. All that being said, I'm glad that city council was really talking about baseball. I do think that there's an important place for organized sports um, and sports facilities in municipalities. I understand how important those things are. While I am uh, an ally to baseball, I am not a member of the community. <laughs> Whereas I am, I am a member of the procedural hijinks community for sure. So you know what's happening right now? No, exactly, I don't actually. Exactly what happened to Regina City Council. You mentioned an organized sport in this city and it just hijacks everything. Mm-hmm. And it just takes over all discourse. Like pickleball. Like pickleball, exactly. Or football. Oh. So. Hello. Can I interrupt for a second? You're listening to the Extendo Dance Mix version of the November 4th Queen City Improvement Bureau meeting. In this segment coming up, we talk about a letter of intent brought to council by the Regina Red Sox baseball team and Living Sky Sports and Entertainment. I don't know what was wrong with me when we recorded this episode, but I was doing a terrible job of setting up stories. Case in point, 
in what's coming up, I make it sound like the Red Sox and Living Sky Sports were asking counsel for a 20 to $30 million baseball stadium and a study on top of that. When it's actually the other way around. They wanted counsel to commit to spending up to $100,000 on a study about the feasibility of the city building a 20 to $30 million baseball stadium. In theory, that study could have come back and said building the stadium was not feasible. Though, come on. That's not how sports facility feasibility studies typically work. Either way, apologies for the confusion. With that bit of clarification out of the way, let's get back to the Queen City Improvement here. There was a letter that that was like brought to council and it was from the baseball folk. And they wanted the city to spend like $20, $30 million on a baseball stadium uh, downtown. Let's do it. The city loves the city loves sports facilities. But before they could do that, they had to like spend the city had to spend $100,000 on a study on the feasibility of this, this uh, stadium. If there's one thing I like more than sports facilities, it's feasibility studies about sports facilities. Oh, you're going to get those. They spent five hours on this because even though this had been rejected soundly at executive committee, every baseball guy, like how many do you need on a team? Like 14? There were 14 there. 14 delegations came out to plead the case of baseball before city council. So they spent over five hours discussing whether or not they should sign this letter of understanding that they would spend $100,000 on a study. So from the beginning where that was proposed, we went through five hours of delegations and discussion, and we ended up at, let's not sign that letter, but let's do a needs assessment to see if people actually like baseball. And everybody voted in favor of that. So that's what our five hours got us, was a needs assessment Um, to determine whether baseball is beloved. I'm going to predict that if there's one thing that... Jack likes more than feasibility studies. It's needs assessments. Okay, but here's the thing: is that I actually think that needs assessments are important. I really do. I think that needs assessments are important. But like, give me a break. Do you know how much work it would take me to try to convince the city to do a needs assessment about like LGBT people in Regina? Uh, it would take more than five hours. And what I find really interesting is that why do we need? a new baseball facility is what I'm confused. And like, why are, why are the baseball sporting organizations uh, not like fundraising for that? Um, that just feels like, you know, like I've, I've been a part of other communities where like, if you want a facility, you have to fundraise for it. And it, it'd be one thing to say, Hey city, we've raised $3 million. We, you know, or like we've raised $300,000 or even $30,000. Can you match it? But like just asking the city to foot a bill for $20 million. Uh, I don't know what there's 200,000 ish people in Regina. Yeah. That's more they, than a dollar per person. To be fair. To be, <laughs> to be let's fair. hear you. Let's hear it, Paul. Please be, to fair. be fair. To be fair, they were just asking for like a study and they said, oh, and it could come back that we're not going to need the stadium. But these studies never come back saying that we don't need the stadium. Uh, the argument <laughs> was that this would be for the Red Sox, right? So for the uh, the Western Baseball League or whatever it's called, Western Prairie, blah, blah, blah. Wait, we um, have a baseball, like we have like a like a Saskatchewan Baseball League. Like, yeah. Like well, Prairie, I think it's Alberta as well. Yeah. Western, Western League and Wiltel Plains. Okay, but wait, okay, wait, 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 wait. Okay, I don't really understand, like, 
like non-professional sports leagues. I don't really understand how they work. Yeah, don't so, worry. But... <laughs> um, <laughs> so like, okay, so is there like, is how big is this league? And is it only like between Saskatchewan and Alberta? There's a bunch of leagues with a bunch of teams within Alberta and a bunch of teams in Saskatchewan and maybe Manitoba. I don't know. And and they play in this like Prairie Western League. Yeah. And they're students. So they're usually college students. So they're like pre-professional. Okay. Undoubtedly, they feed into the professional leagues. Yep. Okay. I mean, I guess, yeah, like that, maybe that's important, but it feels like too much money still. And like, it'd be one thing, like, while I don't, while I don't agree with it at all. I I understand why like like Saskatchewan has a football team has like a professional football team. It makes mm-hmm. sense to say we want facilities where we can like where people in Saskatchewan who are who who want to play football professionally and we're you know and we're like sort of like building capacity amongst like homegrown athletes. That I can maybe like I can maybe get on board with. But this idea like if you want to play baseball professionally, realistically, you're not gonna come to Regina. Like you're gonna go, you're gonna go to Toronto. You're gonna go somewhere else. That like, unless, uh, unless you're really oh, bad, right? If you're really bad, <laughs> that, that's true. Um, or maybe it's like a chicken or the egg situation. And the reason why Saskatchewan doesn't have a professional baseball team is because we don't have a twenty million dollar baseball facility. And so here's my question for you: Is if Regina did have a baseball team, what would it? What would be the name? What would our oh. name be? Like a major league baseball team. What do you think it would be? It would probably be something terrible like the Wheat Kings. Um, I think maybe it could be like the Wheat Queens, right? Because we're like the Queen City. So like a little like right, a right, little right. like the patriarchy kind of vibe. Yeah, you know? yeah. We need to bleep that, Paul, by the way. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> do, you want, do, you want me to, do you want me to say it again so that you don't have to bleep it? No, I'll bleep it. Don't worry. It's more fun if we bleep it, actually. Yeah. We've been getting in trouble for our swearing. Yeah. We, we got in trouble once for, for something else that you said, which was really funny. Something else that I said? Yeah. Oh, sorry. That's all right. Um, it was amusing. But yet you keep having me back. Uh, Ada or Paul, what do you think the Regina Baseball, Major League Baseball team would be? Maybe something. I don't know. I want it to be uh, like I'd, I'd like. I, like I think Wheat Kings is great, but you know it's also like a in a in a tragically hip song, so makes it kind of sad. I I don't like. I don't. The thing is, I don't even like mind baseball as a sport. Like I don't enjoy watching it. I find it boring. Uh, I don't like playing it. But there's a side of me that has like a sort of nostalgic affection for that kind of like Americana. Um, where you know, I think it's because I like hot dogs, and the, the no, close association if, of football to hot dogs or baseball to hot dogs. If there is one thing to get me on board with spending, like if this, if every single delegation was like, we should, you should, we should get a feasibility study, including the feasibility of like putting like a major like hot dog stand, I would support that. Actually, arguably, like yeah. I would support that. I will be the Listen, baseball teams out there, if you want a letter of support from me for your baseball feasibility study, you give me a shout out. Let me know what your plan is for hot dogs in that space. Mm -hmm. And I will I will sign that letter for you. Do you think they'd be good with craft hot dogs? Do you think big hot dog would be like all eager to trample over small business? 
Uh, I'd be fine with big hot dog, honestly. I do really love like fresh carnival. Like their hot dogs are really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so and that, that is probably what I would suggest being put in there. But if, listen, if, if we have to, if we have to uh, sacrifice support of small businesses in order to get some really good hot dogs at, at a $20 million baseball stadium, I support it. So, so small business for, for V, but not for me. Okay, I understand. Exactly. Pro, big, pro big hot dog. Pro big hot dog. All the way. I um, should mention we're on 91.3 FM CJTR, Regina Community Radio, and we're talking with Jack Brasseur. We're the Queen City Improvement Bureau, and we're talking with Jack Brasseur about uh, City Council. And you You're right. You should mention it. Yes. So, anytime. We're not going to get a baseball stadium anytime soon. We're just going to get, we're going to get a needs assessment. Uh, I'm sure it's going to say that we, because the, we just did the rec master plan and they asked people to rank their recreation requirements and baseball came out between 15 and 17 on all these rankings. Which so but I bet you that when they do the needs assessment, it's going to be like, you know, the thing that we need the most baseball. Yeah. Because that's how needs assessments work. No, if you ask anybody, like nobody's going to be like, no, I hate baseball. They're going to be like, yeah, that sounds cool. (laughs) Like people say, what's a great sport for like sitting and eating to? And the answer is baseball. Because that's all you can do. Because man, baseball is not an exciting sport to watch. And there's Mm -hmm. nine innings, right? Mm -hmm. Nine? Yeah, Nine of them. That's too many. And a yeah. lot of nothing at all happening during those nine innings. Um, so that, that, that's why when you go to see like a baseball game in the States, for example, you just basically load up on like beer and food and, and chat with your friends. And hope you get beamed by a baseball. Yeah. And, and like make, and when you go to, you know, when, when, when you're beamed and like, and, and you sold parts of your body, you, you have that badge of honor. Yeah, I've actually been to a few baseball games. And there's that thing, the, the seventh inning stretch, where you like in the seventh inning, they play take me back out to the ball game and everybody gets to stand up and sh- stretch your legs. And mm-hmm. you really need it. Like, oh, yeah. you re- by seventh inning, you've got to stand up and like, you know, because you're going to get blood clots. Like, I'm surprised more people don't die watching baseball. It's like a transatlantic flight. Yeah. So basically, like the main risks in baseball are getting hit on the head by a baseball and deep vein thrombosis. That's your other yes. risk. Okay. Yeah. So. All right. Moving on. Um, I think we're going to. That be wasn't having... the most exciting thing to happen. Uh, no. Um, in fact, I think we're going to have like an extendo cut podcast that's going to be this entire discussion, but what goes <laughs> on the radio is not going to be <laughs> all of this. Yeah. Because we had five and a something hours of uh, baseball talk at city council. They had a whole agenda that they had to get through by six 30. And so they had like all these other items that they had to race through after all this baseball talk. Oh God. And it was so irritating too, because like I said, this is the baseball thing had been rejected by executive committee. So everybody on executive committee, you know, I think Shaw and Brashani and maybe mole had voted in favor of the le- signing the letter. Everybody else had said, no, 
we don't have the time, the money, or the inclination to do this right now. Bad time to come with to us with your with your cap in hand. Also, it's like baseball's like a boy sport, right? Like this is something that came out through questioning that this stadium would not be set up for softball, which is what girls play, apparently. I learned this at the meeting. But elite baseball in Regina is played predominantly like 90% by men. They have some girls leagues and they kept referring to women as girls. All these That's male weird. delegations. That yeah. is a reason in, enough. Here's my thing. Big yeah. hot dogs would be for everyone. Good point. They don't care about your gender. Yeah. Big hot dog. They're just like, do you want a hot dog? Doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter what your gender is. Yeah. But, you know, at the same time, like, it's. I don't think it's a coincidence that hot dogs are the food that is most associated with baseball. Maybe if you're like... I think that that maybe wouldn't be surprising, but I think that hot dogs uh, can take any shape and are just as just as important as well. Let's let's think for a moment carefully about the hot dog because we have the hot dog sausage, which we think of as a hot dog, but the actual hot dog is made up of the component of the bun and the hot dog. So really, hot dogs, if we're going to go in that particular direction, actually like encompass the entire gender spectrum. Yeah. Okay. I stand corrected. And I mean, I think that just like the phallocentrism, I didn't appreciate in the conversation, Paul. But I mean, I get it. You know, we all we all make mistakes. I I, yeah. I appreciate Aiden's Aiden's uh, calling in for all of us. I think the most important thing is that like mustard goes really well with hot dogs. So that's that that's got nothing to do with anything. I just love a good hot dog with mustard. I mean, all that being said, that it's really absurd. Like. If, because you know that if there was a sport, like if like roller derby, for instance, Mm -hmm. which is like mostly a sport made up of women and non-binary people and trans people Mm -hmm. came to the city and was like, we want a feasibility study about like building a roller derby rink in Regina. You would have people being like, this is only a sport that some people play. And like, this is whatever. And people would freak out. What's new? I said it already. I won't say it again because you'll have to bleep me. But like... (laughs) The patriarchy yep. sucks, you know? Like I say, it was basically a bunch of guys coming to council asking for a stadium so them and their guys can play in the stadium. Yeah. I wish that I had those the, the, the guts to do that, though. Oh, man. I want, they had... I want a $20 million like rec room for me and my buddies. We're going to call it the Jack Room. Perfect. Just just come out and like hang out, hang out with Jack. The baseball people should talk to like the oil and gas industry about paying for their baseball. Hello, me again. Like I said earlier, I must have been having a bad night because I couldn't set up a segment to save my life. So, in the bit we're moving into, we talk about Counselor Zakidniak's race to zero motion, and like a dope, I never made note of what her motion actually said. So, here's the crucial bit. Be it resolved that the city of Regina won declare support for the city's race to zero as part of the United Nations race to zero campaign by joining hundreds of other cities in fighting climate change through the city's race to zero campaign. And two, pledges to the following commitments that publicly endorse the following principles. We recognize the global climate emergency. We are committed to keeping global heating below the 1.5 degrees Celsius commitment of the Paris Agreement. We are committed to putting inclusive climate action at the center of all urban decision-making to create thriving and equitable communities for everyone. We invite our partners, political leaders, CEOs, trade unions, investors, and civil society to join us in recognizing the global climate emergency and help us deliver on science-based action to overcome it. 
Counselors of Kidneyak took this wording directly from the United Nations Cities Race to Zero pledge. And as far as I can tell, the Federation of Canadian Municipalities Big City Mayor's Caucus signed on to this same wording, presumably, though, without Regina co-signing it. This all becomes relevant in a few minutes. So with that, let's get back to the show. The next thing that happened to council after they finally got past all this baseball nonsense was that they had to race through the rest of their agenda. I'm going to play you the very first thing that Master said when she was like acknowledging the shortness of time that uh, they were facing. Council, clearly given the time, uh, we are going to, uh, I'd like a motion to table, um, we'll power through ones uh, prior to uh, adjournment, but if we could table MN21-13 race to zero, uh, we've, we've exceeded the date on that for, for reply and they'll be happy to join whenever that debate happens. And CR 21-150 Fire Master Plan, City Clerk did check with Acting City Manager uh, Mr. Onright that those two could be pushed for two weeks. And we'll see if we can power through others that have uh, been discussed at length at Executive. Councilors of Kidneyak. So um, my only concern with tabling race to zero is part of the um, intent for that is to mobilize support of municipalities in advance of COP26 which is starting on October 31st. So um, I know we'd like, we have three delegations, who knows? Like I, I don't- Yeah, we would like to table it so that we can notify delegations that, uh, that we'll be dealing with it uh, two weeks from now at the next council meeting. Um, council does have the ability to uh, advise me uh, privately if you'd like as mayor me to sign on to the race to zero. Uh, I had distributed that information. So that is an option before council. I need someone to move the tabling of those two items at a minimum. Thank you, Councillor Hawkins, a seconder. Thank you, Councillor Mole. Um, could you put up a vote on that one? Uh, thank you, Mayor. With respect to the tabling motion, it's uh, 10 in favor, one against. Everyone in favor, with the exception of Councillors that hit the act. All right. Okay. What just happened there? Now, there, there was a tabling motion from the mayor to table race to zero. So this is a motion from Councillors of Kidney Act to get the city to declare its support for this UN United Nations Cities Race to Zero campaign. And it was the goal was to get this signed before COP26, which was starting in a few days after this council meeting. There are no debates on tabling motions. So the tabling motion just got laid out and this got passed with only the Kidney Act voting against it. Interesting that Masters tried to rationalize this as we're going to like table this to give delegations a chance to, you know, know that we're doing this when there had been a notice of motion two weeks earlier saying this was coming and three delegations had shown up to council and had been sent home. So the three delegations showed up, were on the phone waiting to speak to council about race to zero to say, we think this is a great idea. Please sign it. And they had been told to go home because the uh, the baseball motion had taken so much time. So they had the delegations. They just weren't going to let them talk today. They're going to make them come back in two weeks with no guarantee that like another baseball type motion wouldn't like totally bump them off the agenda again. This passed. And so council went ahead with the rest of their agenda and they went through all their other items. And then the meeting was about to end. And councilors of Kidneyak 
did something that I've that I've only seen done once or twice before in many, many years. And that was she did a reconsideration motion where she said, no, it's 530. We've got like another 45 minutes until this meeting has to wrap up. I think we can get this done. So she played a she did a reconsideration motion, uh, which just passed. Mayor Masters, Shaw and uh, Brashani voted against it. It got back on the agenda. So here it was like stuck right at the end of the meeting. And all the delegations would have gone home, right? 100%. All the delegations were gone. In fact, the story I heard is not only had all the delegations gone home, but the staff members who were there, who were available to speak to this motion and explain, you know, why they, you know, thought it was an okay idea. They had also left and were no longer by the phone. And so they had to call staff members back after they'd been dismissed uh, so that they could speak to this motion. There are just like so many things that I love about what just happened. So it the first thing is just like Mayor Masters, like just like transparent, like argument about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like that is obviously not what you were doing, but whatever. And then also motion to reconsider is like, is a baller motion. It is, in my opinion, it is one of the most baller motions that someone can put forward baseballer motions and uh so just like mad props to 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 shannon for doing that but i also think that so just think that it's like really funny how much the mayor but also like arguably other you know like mole and like the usual suspects how they just like how hard they work to not do like literally the bare minimum you know what i mean this motion, Paul, to your point before we started the show today, like it was just symbolic. Like there was no money. There was no, like, it was just like, cool. Yeah, let's do it. And I just like really find that uh, just baffling to me. I want to play one more clip. This is the actual attempt to adjourn the meeting and then Councillor Zakidniak's motion to bring it back. Again, I think this is another one of those uh, instructive moments uh, in this council meeting. Councillor Hawkins. Mayor Masters, I'd like to thank Councillor Fendura for his wonderful time as Deputy Mayor and move adjournment. Councillor Zakidniak had wanted to provide a motion. Um, would you would you hold off one moment Absolutely. on a motion to adjourn? Thank you, Councillor Hawkins. Councillor Zakidniak. I would like to move that we consider the race to zero motion today. As I mentioned, it is time sensitive in that part of it seeks to join the race to zero. Uh, campaign in advance of COP26, which starts on October 31st. It's just after 5.30. I do think that we have time to address this motion today. And um, unfortunately, we won't hear from the delegations. We do have their voices on the record of where they stand, and that should make the discussion discussion move more quickly as well. So I ask for your support in discussing this time-sensitive motion today. Uh, Councilor Skinnyak requires a seconder. Uh, Councillor uh, Stadnachuk, I I would just add on to this that um, um, I had shared this uh, race to zero motion with the ENS Energy and Sustainability team some time ago. Um, I didn't want to pile on to administration in the event it would line up with something else. Um, we, if, if Council wishes, you could just advise me to sign on to it and we'll send it off or we can debate a motion before you. It's, it's, it's really up to you at this point in time. So this is, oh, Councillor, uh, I think this is a, 
a continuance. It'll be about that, but go ahead, Councillor Hawkins. I was just going to say that I'd be agreeable to your signing it off and sending it off, providing everyone else agrees. Okay. I think we're voting on a, a reconsideration, um, which would be in the absence of, of any of the delegates that had been posted for this as well. The reconsideration, Mayor Masters, passes uh, seven to three. Councillors Bresciani, Shaw, and yourself uh, are against. Okay, we'll open the floor to debate. Okay, there's some backstory here that we need to go over. This race to zero motion, which calls on the city to say, you know, we signed this thing with these hundreds of cities around the world that, you know, says that the city of Regina acknowledges that climate change is a crisis and that we're going to do things to mitigate that. I'll post in the, uh, the notes on the uh, podcast, I'll, have, I'll put the motion right up there with it. This had been brought forward by the Federation of Canadian Municipalities, Big City Mayor's Caucus, and they had made a motion that we're going to sign on to this. They had circulated the text of this raise to zero pledge to all the cities in the Big City Mayor's Caucus, of which Regina is one. Mayor Masters had this in her hand and handed it off to the committee to say, oh, this has come through. And the deadline to sign on to this was October 14th. This was the October 27th council meeting and Mayor Masters had not signed on to this. So Mm -hmm. the whole thing where Masters was saying, well, council can stipulate that I sign on to this. It's late, but I'm sure they'd be happy to have Regina's John Hancock on their motion two weeks after the fact. Councillors of Kidney X motion was basically to say, let's make, let's, let's announce ourselves that we're signing on to this since we missed the deadline for the <laughs> FCM. And here we had Council, uh, Mayor Masters saying, well, you know, we don't have to go to all this trouble of considering Shannon's motion and, you know, in public forum saying, we sign on to this when you could just privately tell me to sign this letter two weeks late and quietly send it off to the Federation of Canadian Municipalities, which actually the president of the Federation of the, of the big city mayor's caucus was flying to COP26 while this council meeting was going on because he was actually going to attend to represent Canadian cities. We were, we were watching this, like it seemed to be the mayor trying to like shuffle this letter that she was asked to sign weeks earlier under a rug and hide this motion the councillors of Kidneyak had brought forward that would, you know, publicly have the city endorse this race to zero motion or pledge. And the race to zero pledge, which Mayor Masters, she voted against councillors of Kidneyak's motion, as did councillors Brashani, Shaw, Mole, and Fendura. So it just barely passed. It was a six to five vote that uh, Zakidniak's motion passed. Masters argued that the problem with the Zakidniak's motion was that it was an overreach, that it had stuff in it that the Federation of Canadian Municipalities had not signed on to. I just, I want to share with council, um, and I know I had forwarded it to you, and um, I'm more than prepared to sign the big city mayor's, you know, the race to zero. I won't support the motion as written because I think it's uh, it's an overreach from what the race to zero is, in part because um, the blunt instrument of, of um, I think there's a nuance to this, and there's a pledge within the motion uh, um, which uh, I, I think is an overextension of what the commitments that the cities are looking to make the pledge include, which is publicly endorsing the principles recognizing climate emergency, pledging to reach net zero by mid-century at the latest, which Council has already done, 
planning at least one inclusive climate action and committing to report on progress. And so there's work involved in signing off on this and in terms of working through it. Um, the idea behind this from the big city mayors was to continue to push up, scale up federal investment and local pathways to net zero investments in deep energy retrofits, community energy generation, zero emission vehicles, active transportation, wastewater management, natural climate solutions, and net zero land use planning. And the statement helps us make the case for greater support for disaster mitigation and adaptation progress, as well as investment in local capacity to assess and respond to climate risks. This is very focused in terms of aligning the municipal and local with the federal initiatives underway. Um, and uh, given the work that the Energy and Sustainability Framework is doing, and, and given the work that the Big City Mayor's Caucus is pushing and advocating for through FCM, um, uh, that would be where uh, my commitment would lie. I feel there's a bit of an overreach within the motion, and so I won't support that, but happy to sign the race to zero. Councillor Zakidney, I pointed out that they were identical motions, that the pledges mm -hmm. were exactly the same. So Masters' mm -hmm. comments with regards to this motion were not factual. So yeah, that's what happened. Well, Joy, well, it's energy, energy politics is the, that's the third rail. That's yeah. the rail with all the power. Glorious moment, though, was Councillor Brishani arguing why we shouldn't sign on to Zakidniak's motion. And uh, she actually said that we, Regina, are not like other cities. We're not like China and India. Oh, They're the places that pollute. Oh, I'm not sure, uh, again, how Regina residents feel about this. Again, we have to be very careful that we're not bringing, um, you know, our own. Um, we've, already, we've already moved forward on a sustainability uh, and renewed by 2050. I think we've, we're, we're doing our part. So I, I, uh, I worry about the message it sends to um, investors. Um, I also worry about the fact that, you know, when we're looking at, uh, when I kind of researched, you know, there's, um, it goes into looking at the plate, like, I mean, what kind of food are you eating? Are you, are you going to just eat vegetable? Like, there's, there's a whole nother, whole nother, um, uh, piece to this and I'm not sure that you know we are an agriculture city we've got the the organizations and the businesses have made um, already a huge transition um, and are making more uh, ways to go renewable so I worry that um, some emotion like this becomes um, almost you know um, deters people from from doing um, business here and so I don't know. I, I, I can't support it as is um, because I do worry about that uh, we are committed to putting inclusive um, and urban decision-making. And what does that mean? And when I went on, there's lots of ways you can do that. But our city of Regina, we're, we're, a, we're a different city than, than India and China and all these other countries that are there. They're the polluters. I love that. Like, just, like, that blatant ignorance. Like, this is what I mean. Okay. When people talk about, like, ignorance, like, purposeful ignorance, mm -hmm. like, people say, like, she said something like that just because she knew that nobody would, like, like, she knows it's not true. Yeah. She knows that that's a ridiculous comparison to make. But she also knows that nobody will really say anything about it. And people just, like, leave it, like, unaddressed. Like, we have a refinery here. 
Yeah. You know exactly. what I mean? Like, I don't know. It just feels, it just feels like, like, just what a choice. You know? Canada, a resource extracting nation with like a middle-class economy that is, that combo makes us like just horrible per capita polluters. No, but we're like, not like on. China. That, that, that is my comment on that. <laughs> the, the possibility is, is not, there's another possibility. Um, not, notwithstanding, uh, you know, your, your supposition that Bresciani knows this not to be true, is that quite possibly Bresciani just reflexively, like a lot of people, believes these kinds of things. Belie- believes that there are some fundamental differences based on ideas that, uh, unexamined ideas, I'll put it that way. Uh, and th- these are the kinds of things, un- unless we get rid or like move past these unexamined ideas about ourselves and others, we're not going to like make any progress. We're not going to fix any problems if we believe that we're somehow special in some way compared to other people. Connected to that, another Brishani point, and uh, Mayor Masters made this as well, was that uh, we don't need to sign on to this motion because we're already doing our part with our, right, our energy and sustainability framework. We're it's, so good already. Yeah, there was a lovely moment at the end where, because uh, Councillor Zakidniak got to close the debate, where she stood up and she said, I've been taking notes. And then she proceeded to run through the points that had been raised against her motion. And one of them was that people have been saying we are doing our part, but we haven't actually done anything. <laughs> Councillor Zakidniak, close off debate. Okay, I've been making notes uh, <clears throat> as folks have been talking, so I have a few things I want to touch on. So first, um, I'd like to state that in the environmental impact section that we have in reports, this already seeks to put climate environment at the center of our decision making. So I would say we're already taking steps along that process, and as we continue to invite uh, to improve that environmental impact section, like that's already embedded in our process. Um, I also wanted to note that this motion was drafted from the Federation of Canadian Municipalities motion that was circulated to folks within the Climate Caucus. So in terms of like the claims that it's overreaching, this is the motion that folks have been asked to sign on for the Race to Zero campaign. All I did was take out parts that um, I added a whereas clause about the work that we're already doing. So I took out parts that were repetitive because we're already doing this work for the energy and sustainability framework. In terms of the claims that we're already doing this work, that is not accurate. We are not doing any of this work yet. We have a framework that we are still in the process of being developed. We haven't made any commitments. We haven't done anything. So this is step one, is sort of uh, framing why do we need to take this action. In December, the framework will be finished, and then that will give us the opportunity to either sign on or not sign on. But we as a council haven't signed on to any of this yet. It's true. Like, we're trying to, like, get credit for saying we're going to do a framework, which, based on the vote on this motion, it's pretty clear that the framework is going to be lucky to pass because there's five voices who seem pretty dead set against doing anything to uh, mitigate our uh, our greenhouse gas emissions in the city, it, uh, it was it was it was fun and depressing. Uh, oh, just one just one last other great moment was uh, Councillor Shaw and her questioning. Uh, administration came out and said, you know, this passing this 
is complementary to our framework. This like, you know, demonstrates support for what we're doing by preparing the energy and uh, sustainability framework. And Councillor Shaw asked, how much is this going to cost? And the response from administration was no more than it costs to sign a piece of paper. Just a further question. Do we have a rough idea how much this is going to cost us money-wise, taxpaying-wise, to the uh, chair? Mr. Umer Masters, uh, at the time it will take to write the letter to support it. <laughs> to put all this in place. Okay. So I, I'm talking about the, the cost of what this is going to put to put in place and to move forward with this through the chair? Um, at, at this point, uh, the cost is simply um, a commitment to pledge to work towards achieving the goal to be 100% renewable by 2050 in terms of net zero. So um, that cost will come forward to Council when the Energy and Sustainability Framework uh, is presented um, um, later this year or early in 2022. Thank you. And it was like the saltiest thing I've heard administration ever say. <laughs> no, I was going to say kind of the same thing, but that is just like, that is, that is a moment where like, you are just tired as a, like, as like a yeah. self-parent, like you're just like, are you kidding me? How much is it going to cost for us to like sign a piece of paper? So like maybe, you know, like a couple bucks in labor, like, you know, and then like the 0. 0.2 cents of the pen, like, yeah. You know, that is like very funny. Um, yeah. And I also find it really interesting that they're all of a sudden really concerned about the cost of things when they just approved this like wasteful needs assessment for baseball. <laughs> yeah, I really appreciate Shannon's work on this. I appreciate the other mm -hmm. um, counselors who were not um, like tricked by like masters like weird like transparent like no we don't need to do this and just like it, it just felt like overall like a classic day at Regina City Council yeah it was a stellar performance by some on council though like you say Zakidniak Stadenchek spoke really really well in favor of this motion I mean it's the thing is like the thing that makes this such so such so hot so you know difficult to handle is the fact that it is symbolic yeah and as with the sponsorship yeah. motion it's these symbolic gestures that seem to like get the most outrage like that. And I think, I think there's something deeply strange when all, all the actual, like the important things are ignored, but only the symbolic is, is actually generating this kind of interest. All right. On that note, we have, we have not just like run out of time. We've exceeded <laughs> way over time. Yeah. Um, but I, I hate to think we'd have to edit out some big hot dog talk though. Cause no, nope. That to me should, should definitely <laughs> We'll keep the hot dog talk, but if we want to keep the hot dog talk, we should go to Innovative Revenue Tools right now. The Queen City Improvement Bureau would like to acknowledge the Regina Warehouse Business Improvement District for their support of our show. The Regina Warehouse Business Improvement District. Improving the district where there are warehouses in Regina. And we're back from Innovative Revenue Tools. Oh, such good Innovative Revenue Tools. They are excellent. Where do we get Innovative Revenue Tools like that, Paul? I believe there's a mine. Oh, I really? I believe we dig them out of the ground. That's true. That is true. Yeah, under incredibly unsafe working conditions. That is also true. Corners have to be cut if you want That's to right. you know, achieve efficiencies. 
Yeah, I could not have put it better myself. I, in fact, I hope they don't fire me because I didn't put it better myself. It's okay. I don't think they're listening. <laughs> That's a relief. We have, uh, we have a different guest in our second half. What? It's true. Okay. We have, oh, sorry. We have uh, Saren Kozusko. Have I got that right, Sarah? <laughs> Kozusko? Okay. And she's a pharmacist who works uh, across the street from Pepsi Park. Uh, in the Heritage neighborhood, which is where uh, Camp Marjorie has, uh, I guess, popped up is a, is a decent verb for that. Hey, Sarah, welcome to the sub-basement. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me, guys. So, Sarah, uh, I guess where I wanted to start is just with a bit of news that I saw uh, just today, is that um, Camp Marjorie continues to expand, and it is... We're getting down to negative 12 tonight, and uh, you guys are still struggling to find supplies to help the people there. Uh, is, it, is it really that dire at Camp Marjorie right now? Yeah. So the people that are living there have been living dire for a really long time. This isn't a change for them. Um, at least the community is aware and is trying to help now. Um, the supplies, it's... People have been super generous. It's been overwhelming how many people have been bringing things through. But what's really still needed is like more tents, more sleeping bags. Um, and it's because it's an ever-changing situation with more and more people becoming homeless every day. Um, I actually had a lady in the, in the store today who is saying, nobody will help me. I can't get a bank account. I'm on SIS and I can't get a bank account. So because I can't get a bank account, um, I'm going to get kicked out of my home and I'm going to end up in tent city and I'm paying my rent and I'm doing these things, but without being able to get a bank account, um, because of a past spouse who had committed, um, fraud under her name, oh. uh, she has nowhere to deposit checks. So she's using money mart, which of course is, you know, like 20% and, but they won't deposit checks into money mart for her and they won't even send her checks right now. So she's going to end up there. So the fact that we're not doing any wraparound care to people is meaning that more and more people are just like being siphoned off into homelessness. Um, and it's happening every day. There's more and more people being siphoned off into homelessness right now. Um, it, it is, it's, it's very dire for the people that are, that are there. Um, but most of these people have been living in dire situations for a long time. Do you know, like, I know you're not a homelessness expert, although you seem to have been thrust into this position. Yeah. Um, do you know if this is a long-standing problem where this many people are being uh, thrust into homelessness, as you put it, uh, or is this, is this a direct result of the changes to the social assistance in Saskatchewan? So I'm, I'm not a homelessness expert, but I've been working with this population in like a meaningful way for like the last four to seven years and through like years of like trust people come and like talk to me about what's going on with them and I started seeing my first set of people lose their homes that had been not homeless before about six months ago so this is a new thing where we started seeing people losing homes and not being able to find new homes and when we would use all of our like little tricks that we had up our sleeves you know connecting with this person or connecting with that person um, we couldn't do that anymore um, because there was no homes. And then at the same time, when we were trying to get a, a few things happened back to back, I think all of the, you know, you get those stickers in the mail for your expiry date for your health card. 
those went out. Mm-hmm. And if you get, if they get returned because you don't live there anymore, your health card gets cut off. So we wow. had a ton of people whose health cards were cut off. I want to say we had probably 20 or 30 alone that happened like bam right away. At my pharmacy, we will continue to fill medications for them, but we took a huge loss on that. And I can tell you that maybe no other pharmacies were doing that. So people kicked off their medications. Um, They got kicked out. And so that was one part of it. And then doctors won't see patients that don't have health cards with a valid sticker on there. So they have to pay $60 to see a doctor. So those needs are being unmet. Um, The... So this has all happened in the last six months and never in my career, and I've been a pharmacist for 20 years, have I ever seen this happen? And I've been working with homeless people for the last six or seven years. I've never seen it happen like this. We weren't so many people and you go to try to get them to call um, social services. So to call social services, you have to have a phone or you've got an internet and nobody has either one of those things. So they use our phone. We bought a public phone, but the whole times are like hours and hours and hours. Well, you can't be sitting like on a public phone for five or six hours at a time. It's one thing for me in my like house to have the phone on speakerphone for the day and deal with it that way. It's quite another thing to be dealing with it if you don't actually have a phone of your own. So it's all these things and all these hurdles that weren't, didn't seem to be in place before. Even going down to social services now because of um, COVID, they want everybody to call, but nobody can call. So it's it's gotten way worse. The barriers that are in place now are higher than they've ever been before. And they're not giving anybody the tools to be able to overcome these barriers. If I go to a bank to open up a bank account, I'm set, somebody sits down with me and walks me through the entire process. Nobody's doing that for people in social assistance. They're just giving them the forms, making them fill them all out themselves, go X, Y, and Z to try to get ID. Um, where they don't have any money, they don't have the ID to get the ID and nobody is just holding their hands and doing it. So it's taking way more people, way, way too much time, way more involvement in the system. It's probably costing us tax dollars, so many more tax dollars because instead of sitting down with a social worker for one hour and getting everything taken care of, they're sitting down with 15 social workers for 15 minutes at a time and not getting anywhere. And they're getting hotel stays all these times. So they're just sitting down and working through the whole problem, getting them a home. So the answer to your question, yes, it's gotten worse. <laughs> um, wow. Uh, and then on top of it, you they're relying on all of this volunteer effort from the community. So these are these are un, uncounted hours of work from you, from the other volunteers at Camp Marjorie, and all the other volunteers across the city who end up helping people through this process that in any sort of like government accounting of how much their programs cost are just never going to be noticed. Yeah. And we've always done this stuff and things that like I'm learning to be a social worker as a pharmacist. It makes no sense, but because you can't, you can't help people with their diabetes if they don't have any shoes. So that's like, we're, we've always been doing this work and they should be paying social workers to do this. Like the CBOs, like the community-based organizations are so underfunded And then like Carmichael, they've got shoestring staff. They're working so hard. It's such a great organization. And then I hear the government saying things like, maybe we'll talk to the CBOs about becoming public trustees. Well, are they going to pay these CBOs to do that? Because that's a lot of work. Like, 
and they're doing it with, with no money at all. Regina Needle Recovery, such an amazing organization, no funding from anybody, period. And these are the people that like have sat, stood up and gotten the things done. There's countless organizations that are doing really good work and none of them are getting paid at all. And you're exactly right. Then they say that these services don't cost them any money or that things are under control and it's, it's not working that like it's, yeah, it's not working. The other thing about it's not being a new situation is like, yeah, more and more people are showing up in tents and that doesn't mean that there's been more and more people that have been kicked off of CIS this week. Um, This, there is more and more people that have been kicked off of CIS this week. That's happening every day. But what I'm hearing from the community is that there are people that are staying in like trap houses or staying in garages that are staying in all these places that were very unsafe. They were having to do things like trade sex for a place to stay there or trade drugs for a place to stay there or commit crimes to be able to stay there. And they're not necessarily having to do that anymore. So people are going into Camp Marjorie because it's safer. It's not a solution. Nobody wants Camp Marjorie to be there. Everybody wants people to have homes and have safe, healthy places to be. But maybe this is better than it was before. And all the people that were homeless all summer you don't see them because they don't need a tent because it's not cold out. So it's been escalating. It's been snowballing, but also now people have a little bit more safety and there's food at Camp Marjorie. So the people that were already homeless are just going to one spot to be safer. Wow. Uh, do you have a, a rough count of how many people are there now? I think it's like... And I like I'm not the best person asking that, but I think it's like one ten, one twenty. Jeez, I had no idea it had gotten up into triple digits. Yeah, because I think there's like sixty some tents now. Um, oh. Yeah, it's like it's and it's there's a few heaters, but it's it's cold. It's not great. I was just gonna say I hate being cold. I can't even imagine. I saw uh, a drone photo of Camp Marjorie from up above, and it was. Uh, disturbing how if you squinted, uh, it kind of looked like a subdivision from up above. Like if you if you just saw each tent as a house, it was it was like a brand new neighborhood had been moved into Regina. Yeah, and but it is it's a community, you know, and this is a community of people that are watching out for each other. And um, it'd be interesting to see what happens longer term because. It's funny, people keep coming up to me and saying, Sarah, you need to do this at the camp. I'm like, this is not my camp. Like, I didn't start this camp. I actually have very little to do with the camp other than the fact that I support humans in general. And there's a whole bunch of humans across the street from my pharmacy. And so I support them. So I'm in there often doing things like handing out Narcan and doing COVID shots if people want them or just trying to engage them in care. I know so-and-so is over there and they've got an injury and I'll go over and check them. Or my staff's gone over and Narcan people many times we've, we've uh, gone into overdoses there many times, but it's not my camp. It's not anybody's camp. Nobody owns this camp. Nobody owns people. You don't own people. This, And so um, I, it, but the people are keep coming, Sarah, you need to put rules in place and you do this. I'm like, these are people's homes. It's not for us to, to rule and to control. And if there's rules that come into place, they need to come into place from within the camp. Like, this white girl from across the pharmacy across the street can't come over and start giving you rules. That's colonization. That's not the right side of this street to play on. Like, so I just support, we just support the people, but it is, it's a community. So it looks like a subdivision. 
it kind of is. It's a subdivision. It's a, it's a community of people. Do you know who the first people were who uh, started yeah. the camp? Like the first tents that were up there or the people that provided the first tents? Oh, I'm actually curious about who the first people to occupy tents there were. Yeah. Um, so Gavin, who's been very vocal on the news, he had the first tent. He yeah. was the first one there. And Gavin's been, um, like, I've known Gavin for years. Like, I don't think I've, he's not a patient of mine in the sense that I fill prescriptions for him. But, you know, we serve coffee and stuff. And so he's a member of the community. I've known him for for years. And um, it's, uh, it's, I think it's been a heavy mantle for him to carry a little bit, uh, being the spokesperson for this. But I also am so proud of, like, how he's shown such leadership in there. And, yeah, because um, he's kind of been the, the poster child now for it. Wow. And there was actually a couple, too, um, that moved in right at the beginning. And the sweetest couple, and they've actually been homed. Now, I want to say for a couple of weeks, they've been in a, in a house, and they're doing well. Uh, so we're on 91.3 FM, CJTR, Regina Community Radio. We are the Queen City Improvement Bureau, and we're speaking with Sarah Kozisko, a pharmacist who's uh, volunteering at Camp Marjorie and who works just across the street from Camp Marjorie. I'm, I'm a little aghast at... Uh... At the news that Camp Marjorie has grown to the size it is and that we're witnessing a kind of institutional cruelty uh, at work here that is that is putting people there. Uh, so I, I'm just my, my brain is reeling a little bit. Uh, Sarah, you mentioned earlier that uh, usually your experiences there are very positive. Uh, and you, you mentioned that there is this one person who uh, was being aggressive and antagonistic. Uh, with you, uh, some somebody who came in and decided to cause trouble. Is that a regular problem there, or was that an, a, like an outlier? So, like nine, like the city of Regina has been like amazingly supportive of the camp, and like same with our efforts, like as a community business who's been trying to support the community. I've for years put out calls for anybody of mitts, anybody of shoes. The city like steps up, and like we get overwhelmed with stuff. So. Unfortunately, there's like a few people that are loud and that use their voices to like put complaints in. Like, if you lodge a complaint with a college of pharmacists, it's a really big deal. Like, it's a huge investigation. And there's mm-hmm. a there's there was a complaint launched against us saying, and I quote, "Since Sarah started handing out food six months ago, we've seen. And first of all, I've been handing out food for like over two years." We've seen an increase in vagrants, meth heads, and drug addicts in the area. This has led to urinations on the streets and drug-induced fits. I think that small businesses should improve the community. And what else did you put in there? Um, please talk to Sarah about this because they are so um, – uh, because I'm not getting through it to her. And, and because she feeds them, they're urinating on the streets and the police are being called. It's like – People are urinating in the streets because there's no public bathrooms and the police are being called because we have the only phone. So people come in all the time and say, can you call the police or can you call an ambulance? And like that. And then we had like a nurse come in today who was just screaming at us saying, because we cut hair, people are pooping on the streets. Like, I don't yep, know. That, that, that follows. <laughs> yeah. That's <real. laughs> And, like, um, and then she would proceed to tell everybody where I live. And then I'm just trying to make money off this. I'm like, are you serious? I could make the same money working at Shoppers Drug Mart in like in the suburbs mm-hmm. and like not go home with a headache ever. And so these are the things and they're loud and they're busy and they take up so much bandwidth. 
and they caused me real trouble. Like they caused me legit problems. I mean, I mean, the, the fortunate thing is, I mean, despite the bandwidth and the, the take up and the problems they can cause, these are the minority of people. They are. Yeah. But they're loud and they do cause like, like legit things. Like they're saying like, we're going to get you shut down. I'm like, I have done like, first of all, the police are in here like every day. We've got medical students and pharmacy students. Everybody would see that what we're doing is legal because we're an open book. So if your complaints are anything about illegality, great. Take that to the college. If it's that I'm feeding people, take that to your pastor. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Right. You say that um, the, the police have been in there every day. Uh, I understand that you've had a lot of, uh, a lot of contact with like city staff. Uh, the mayor has been there and promised that they would find, uh, find some way to move this indoors. Did I get that right? Yeah, that's my understanding. Um, I don't know exactly the plan. I know that Ritzis is going to be involved with that, the gathering place. Um, and like they'll do an amazing job of that. So we'll continue to support the human beings wherever they are. Um, the police have not been in there in a um, uh, policing fashion. This is a community outreach division who are just run by like the most amazing officers. Um, if you met the people on the, like this is like the PAC team and the community outreach team. Um, they are doing such amazing jobs of building bridges back into um, the community. Um, I know like they're, they're just, they're there all the time and they're just so kind and they're not policing the group. They're keeping like people safe. And they, these are a group of officers that like will drive people down to social services and like advocate for them. And they carry like clothing in the back of their cars. And like, oh. so these are the police officers and there's, there's some really good, our police service, there's some really, really amazing officers out there. And um, like, I think the police chief is just stellar. And um, Sandra Masters, like our mayor, like the city's on the right side of this. They're doing the right things. Um, we've had questions from counselors who are hearing from the same people that are coming in saying that we're doing all this bad stuff. And they've come and questioned us and I think we're all on the same page about that stuff now. Um, but um, because people listen to what they're told. The city, I think, is doing the best they can. I'm glad that they've allowed the tent city to happen. Um, and it seems like the city is the one that is taking responsibility for things to get better, even though they have no authority on fixing the problems, like the systemic problems, the cis problems, and the, um, the social service problems. The city doesn't have any jurisdiction to fix that. My next ask for the city would be, like, why can't, you know, homeless people or um, people that don't have water, why can't they go and use the city facilities to shower for a couple hours a day? You know, maybe don't open it all the time, but I used to lifeguard. I know that there was, you know, two or three hours in the middle of the day where nobody was using those bathrooms and nobody was using the facilities. Why not let people go in and take a shower? That's a really good point. Yeah. And we have outdoor pools that aren't being used, but they still have shower facilities that, you know, are indoors. Yeah. At those places, so. I don't know if they're heated though. I don't know if the, if the um, I don't know if the pipes would be heated and stuff. Oh, that's a very good point. I didn't think of that. Your ones um, are like I don't think that there's probably a ton of people using, and even if they had to take a city bus down there, like tw you know twice a week that they go around and pick up people on a city bus and take them there so they can have a shower and they can have some dignity. We yeah. had um, some of the public health nurses. And nurse practitioners from four directions, which again is just like four directions. If our whole healthcare system was run by the people that run four directions, 
um, the trust in the system would be amazing because there's just such good people that run the programs out of four directions. Um, they were out, they pulled up to Camp Marjorie today in like an ambulance and we're seeing people walk in, which is amazing because the people that were walking in there will not walk into a hospital. And I had a guy laying on the couch in the pharmacy for eight hours today um, because he couldn't walk and he would not go to the hospital and he would not go to the hospital. But I was like, hey, nurse practitioners across the street. If I can get one of them over there, will you talk to them? He's like, yes. And they wow. examined him. And it was amazing because the distrust in the system in general is so high. It's, um, it's, it's so sad the way people with addictions are treated in the hospital systems. And obviously it's not by everybody. Um, the people that work in the ID clinic are amazing. And there's obviously really good nurses and doctors throughout, but systemically people are treated poorly. If they come in there with substance use, living with substance use disorder, their substance use disorder is not treated in the hospital. And so they will not go. And so what we see happen from that, if you don't go to the hospital when you have something that requires hospitalization, but that's not going to make you dead right away. Um, is that thing progresses and progresses and progresses until you need an amputation and an ICU bed. And then you end up with scouting rehab for six to eight weeks. And how much money does that cost our system? So if we take the human component out of it, uh, the human component of just treating people with kindness and look at dollars and cents, treating people poorly for the two days that they would need to be in the hospital and keeping them there to make sure that their illness and ailments are fully treated ends up turning into ICU admissions, amputations, Wascana rehab, and costing the system mm. a ton of money, all because we didn't treat people properly and we didn't wrap around care. When they're in the hospital, we're not making sure they're leading to good housing. We're not making sure that their health is in better care. We're not making sure they've got social services. We've got, we have so many times in our society right now that we have, you know, kind of captive audiences that we could help them be better. And the services are all there when they're leaving jail, why aren't we, you know, setting them up um, these ways when they're leaving the hospital, why aren't we setting people up for to have a better life on the outside? It would not cost us very much money to do that. Wow. So it's amazing how expensive cruelty and negligence are. Exactly. 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 Um, we're just about at the end here, but uh, I, you know, it has occurred to me that we didn't even ask you, uh, what is the pharmacy? That you, uh, that you manage? Queen City Wellness Pharmacy. Um, there's another pharmacy just opened. They call themselves Queen City Pharmacy. I'll take that as a compliment because they maybe want to be just like us. But we're Queen City Wellness Pharmacy on 11th and Quebec Street, um, right across uh, Pepsi Park. And, um, yeah, we just do whatever we can to support the community because it's the right thing to do. I mean, we, we actually named our show Queen City Improvement Bureau in honor of the Queen City Wellness Pharmacy. So, I mean, there you go. You know what? I, yeah, like, we're, we're, don't blame you at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Sarah, and giving us a little glimpse of what it's like uh, down at Camp Marjorie right now and in your neighborhood. And, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, if you ever want to come back on, if there's, a, if there's other stuff that you want to talk about, please just let us know. I appreciate that. Thanks, you guys. It's, um, it's important, I think, that people know what's going on. And like I, I did a call out for small businesses to do better. And you know what? There's lots that are doing really well. It'd be nice to start a coalition of small businesses that are doing the right things and like band together and share the right things that we're doing and like promote each other's things so that everybody can see 
especially like the SAS government, they can see that, hey, we can, small businesses want us to do the right things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course, they may just coast on all your work. (laughs) But whatever, like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it is what it is. (laughs) It is what it is. All right. Thanks very much. And I think on that note, we're going to have to uh, call in a German, Aiden. All right. Uh, I second that motion. And the meeting is adjourned. You have been listening to the Queen City Improvement Bureau on 91.3 FM, CGTR, Regina Community Radio, tuned into the community. You can find us uh, broadcast live 7 to 8 p.m. on Thursdays and rebroadcast Monday afternoons 3 to 4 p.m. Also on Twitter at Queen City IB and our website, queencityib.com and cjtr.ca slash podcasts. Uh, coming up next is an Orcore Cabaret, then music all on through the night. Oh, that's it. Keep on improving, Jonathan.